You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. I'm Kate Tucker, and I'm serving as summer worship coordinator here at First Universalist Church, and with me leading worship today are Nico and Lauren and Franco and Amy. And as I have returned here after 10 years, I'm also um, learning that there are so many others who make this Sunday worship hour possible. Uh, I see now how tech folks make the wheels turn, and so uh, big thanks to um, John and Jen Stromberg and Rob and Jim and everyone involved. So we are a congregation with a long, strong liberal history. Love is the spirit of this church, we say, and service is its law. This is a faith home, whatever your age, skin color, gender identification, background, ability, this place was made for you. We hold that all are precious, all are gifted, all deserve a chance at life. And so we commit ourselves to listening and learning and working to end oppression and discrimination wherever we find it, within us, among us, and beyond us. And today we welcome to our community and to our pulpit, Nico Van Ostrand. Nico is a religious educator at White Bear Unitarian Universalist Church, where they particularly love sharing UU theology with all ages through story. They have been active in local racial justice organizations, and last year they began their seminary journey with a focus on BIPOC-centered UU ministry. We are so fortunate to have Nico with us today when our calendars mark Father's Day, blessings to you fathers, um, and Juneteenth, Jubilee Day, and Pride Month. Nico brings us a message that touches all of these and opens doors for reflection. So now we settle ourselves, as is our tradition now. Make sure we're sitting comfortably, using as few muscles as necessary to be upright, aware of the space over our heads, space around us, the space within us. Aware as we sit in these pews that the ground far below us is part of the homeland of Lakota and Ojibwe and other indigenous peoples, all who have stewarded this land and to whom we owe deep honor, ongoing reparations, and honest storytelling about this place. Let's take some deep breaths together, breathing in peace and breathing out love. Come, let us worship together. I will light the chalice as Nico leads you in the words. Please join me in saying the words for lighting our chalice. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. 
This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. We begin this morning with a reminder of the original blessing that is our birthright, an honoring of our inherent holiness, and a prayer of protection. Nico reads words by the Reverend Sean Parker Dennison entitled, Blessing for Kin, and I offer words for our children. I wish you a single story, not a simple fairy tale with only happiness, but one life without secrets or omissions, without the need for fake faces, one pointed outward, the other inward and real. Dear child, at times, others may want you to look or behave differently than feels right or natural for you. I wish you wouldn't have to decide between being yourself and fitting in. I wish for you the twin beauties of clarity and consistency, knowing the singular word that holds all of you together, all of you at once, all of you. Imagine you have a thick crayon in your favorite color. Trace an imaginary line around the shape of you. Write your name for yourself in the center. I wish you no need to hide, no reason to live in shadows or half-truths, no need to cover the spark and sparkle of your heart to keep it from catching the light of sun and moon. Imagine the spark and sparkle of your own heart. Imagine what it looks or feels like. Perhaps your heart's sparkle can get bigger and fill your whole body now. I wish you wholeheartedness that arises from the liberty before needing to be freed, the completeness that precedes breaking the integrity of your being, a unity, undivided and boundless. You were born free, child. Your energy fills you and spills into the world, connecting with the energy of all life everywhere. All of you belongs here. I wish you a far-reaching welcome from within full and absolute acceptance, nothing withheld from yourself, unrealized or unfinished. Bring your whole self here, all of who you are, wiggly and giggly, quiet and still, playful, messy, hangry, hopeful, human, all of you belongs here. And I wish you a place and a people who do not want you in pieces, incomplete and partial, a world that no longer asks anyone to wrench apart their heart or divide soul from mind, from nature, from core. You are holy and whole. I bless you with all that is whole. Will you stand as you are willing and able and join us in singing our hymn, Gather the Spirit.
So this is the time we set aside for reflection and for honoring passages in our lives. We make space here to recognize the joys, the challenges, the questions, the discoveries, the griefs we carry. Today we remember the fathers and the fathers and their fathers. We remember the leaders of our nation in this time of hearings and revelations. We celebrate with all our LGBTQIA siblings and acknowledge the work of liberation that lies ahead. And we honor Juneteenth and acknowledge the work of liberation that lies ahead. Our strategy, Arundhati Roy writes, our strategy should be not only to confront empire, but to lay siege to it, to deprive it of oxygen with our art, our music, our literature, our stubbornness, our joy, our brilliance, our sheer relentlessness, and our ability to tell our own stories. Our prayer today is from a poem called Think of Others by Mahmoud Darwish. As you prepare your breakfast, think of others. As you wage your wars, think of others. Do not forget those who seek peace. As you pay your water bill, think of others, those who are nursed by clouds, as you return home to your home, think of others as you sleep and count the stars. Think of others, those who have nowhere to sleep. Do not forget the people of the camps. As you express yourself in metaphor, think of others, those who have lost the right to speak. As you think of others far away, think of yourself, say, if only I were a candle in the dark. i 
fortunate to have a fantastic dad. He's one of my favorite people, and I've learned so much from him that I have a bit of dad wisdom for just about any occasion, including the occasion of writing this sermon. You see, my dad is an accountant and a very practical man, so on shopping trips as a kid, he would take his time going down the aisles, calculating price per unit, be it toilet paper or cereal boxes. And in this way, he would find the item of best value. As I got older, he started challenging me to do the mental math myself, and this was an especially exciting process when we were able to spot a regularly priced item that was a better deal than an on-sale one. And this is a good practice from a financial standpoint and something that I still rely on. But perhaps there is something missing from this equation. It shows me value, as in how to get the most of something for the least amount of money, but it doesn't leave room for values, as in whether the sourcing, working conditions, and business practices involved in bringing me this product line up with the way I think I should live my life as a Unitarian Universalist. And as a Unitarian Universalist, when I'm faced with this kind of ethical problem, I turn to the principles. All of them have guidance to offer, but for this particular problem, we'll focus on the first principle which affirms and promotes the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Bringing that first principle into this equation complicates it. We're no longer dividing one number by another for a simple answer of which product to buy. Now it's a whole word problem with a bajillion possible answers. But Unitarian Universalism never claimed to be easy. So let's dig in a little deeper and try to figure out what to do about value and worth and dignity. It's June right now, Pride Month, where we celebrate queer folks building on a legacy of revolution and resiliency and joy. And if you've been paying attention, particularly in the past few years, you'll notice that it's easy to tell when it's Pride Month because suddenly stores are decked out in rainbow colors. Suddenly there are queer people in commercials and a whole section pops up in Target for pride-themed t-shirts. And it can be pretty fun. Many of us remember a time before most major stores would sell rainbow merch or run ads with same-sex couples or trans or non-binary models. Actually, probably most of us remember that <clears throat> because it was just a few years ago. And it does feel good to be represented on billboards or TV. It's nice to see the diversity of human, humanity reflected in all areas of life. But then, July 1st, the rainbow colors disappear in favor of red, white, and blue. Suddenly, everything is very patriotic and very straight again. This phenomenon is called rainbow capitalism. It's the superficial support of queer folks by corporations who view us as a target market rather than humans whose lives are impacted by the homophobic and transphobic cultures and policies found within those same corporations. So in that section of Target, with all of the Pride-themed t-shirts in June, it's fairly easy to find the best price. But what happens when we consider rainbow capitalism and apply the first principle? The first principle says our worth and dignity as queer people comes from us from the very fact that we exist. Rainbow capitalism sends the message that our worth and dignity stems from our wallets, because we are customers and not people. 
and that is bad theology. Rainbow capitalism is just one example of something called performative activism, superficial and often public displays of support that do not require work, change, or sacrifice. Performative activism allows those with privilege to do something easy so they can feel like they're on the right side of history, but not have to disrupt or alter their own lives or take meaningful action. It's easy, but it doesn't do a whole lot. Experiencing others' performative act activism is like when I enter a store with a specific shopping list of ingredients that I need to make dinner. I know what I need, and everything on that list has a purpose and will help me meet my goal of making dinner. But the second I enter that store, there's a display of dinosaur items because the store has decided that this is what will make them the most money. And I love dinosaurs, so I am excited and distracted, and my cart is filling up, and I'm not exactly mad about it, even though in the back of my mind, I know that none of this is on my list and none of it will help me meet the dinner-making goal I had in mind when I decided to come to the store in the first place. But I'm still buying stuff, so it's not entirely unrelated. I can go home with my new dinosaur items and be happy for the, for the rest of the day, and it's okay to enjoy stuff. But the trade-off is no dinner. And as a side note, I, the irony of using a shopping trip as a metaphor to critique capitalism and performative activism is not lost on me. But I do think that the fact that it works speaks to the pervasiveness of exactly the issues that we're talking about. So the, ta the takeaways from this description of performative activism is that it doesn't meet the goal of liberation. It often has a different goal in mind, be it money-making or calming unrest. It doesn't require a lot of effort or revolution to do, and in complicated ways, it can feel like a really positive, fun thing. Here's another case of performative activism. Today is Juneteenth, which honors the end of legal slavery in America. It's not the day of the Emancipation Proclamation, rather it marks June 19th, 1865, two years after the Emancipation Proclamation, when the news was finally brought to enslaved people in Texas who had been held for those two years by slave owners, many of who knew, whom knew it was illegal. So last year, President Biden signed Juneteenth National Independence Day Act into law, making Juneteenth a federal holiday. Many of us now get a day off from work, and the history of Juneteenth received widespread attention due to this news, and many did respond to the call to learn more about it. And these are good things. But this new federal holiday came into being at the same time that an attack on critical race theory, which has implications for the legacy of Juneteenth among so many other things, this attack is tearing through the country. It comes in a moment just like every moment in American history where progress on anti-racism is slow with very real life and death consequences. The point is not that a federal holiday for Juneteenth is bad. The government saying, hey, let's stop and notice this moment in history is important. There should always be room for honoring and celebrating, and African and black Americans have been doing that since the very first Juneteenth, long before President Biden signed this act into law. But it is entirely possible, especially for white people and those of us people of color who are not black, to enjoy the federal holiday off without giving a single thought, let alone meaningful action, towards black liberation. 
Because celebrating a holiday is something that most people like to do, but making the lifelong, soul-deep changes required for real anti-racism takes effort and risk. But we need to do that deep work because rather than recognizing it as inherent, performative activism of this kind claims that the worth and dignity of oppressed people comes from their ability to prioritize the comfort of the privileged over justice. And that is bad theology. So representation and things becoming mainstream or normalized, federal recognition, these things are not wholly bad. But they bring us as Unitarian Universalists to an important question. Are rainbow capitalism and performative activism going to get us where we want to go? And if not, what is it that we are being moved towards? If everyone just buys a few more things in June and shuts up a little bit about black liberation, will it bring about heaven on earth? To me, heaven on earth is liberation, the absence of oppression. It means being in community together with all the difficulty and discomfort that that entails, but committed to figuring it out. It's expansive and joyous, supported by systems that center humanity and start from an assumption, a wholehearted affirmation of worth and dignity. These words are so inadequate to describe what I believe it is Unitarian Universalists are trying to work towards. Yet even with that clumsy description, we all know that heaven on earth is not what we have right now. And I can say with a fair bit of confidence that performative activism is not what is going to get us there. Others have studied more extensively than me and written longer books on what kinds of things might get us to heaven on earth, but I'll briefly share something that works for me. It's this idea of pockets, little pockets of heaven on earth. So I search out the places and the communities that are getting heaven on earth right, or at least who are making significant efforts to get there. I join into these pockets and join up with others who are lovingly expanding the perimeters of those pockets so they can start to include more and more people. I find a pocket in my work as a religious educator. I get to know UU teens, and one thing that came up a lot over the past couple of years is gender identity. Often during youth group, I find myself getting emotional because the things that they are talking about so freely and openly are the kinds of things that I locked away inside or whispered to one trusted person at a time when I was their age. These youth are bringing in ideas and phrases formed among queer youth online, creating a language and a theory that speaks to their truths. Part of my role in expanding that pocket is connecting them with stories from queer history, which they take and integrate into their understandings of themselves. It is incredible. And this, to me, is a sign of movement towards heaven on earth. This is the kind of thing we must throw our attention and support behind. Another pocket is the ongoing and creative racial justice work I got to witness in UU congregations during my time with Moose Jaw. Prior to that, my UU contacts was pretty limited to my home congregation, so getting to be on Zoom calls with folks from all over Minnesota and hearing about eighth principle efforts and their personal stories of struggling with unlearning and relearning, but doing it anyway. 
We work together to create a tri-state racial justice summit and plant the seeds for collaborative justice work across congregations. And this all showed me at a very pivotal time in my journey as a Unitarian Universalist that this faith is indeed a pocket of hope. It is, of course, in many ways an imperfect pocket, and the effort to expand it needs and deserves more energy behind it. But that is exactly the kind of work our principles call us to. So in a world of rainbow capitalism and performative activism, of racism and messages that our worth is tied to our disposable income or our ability to accept continuing oppression, those pockets of heaven on earth are necessary to survival. It's not fair that we must devote our lives to painstakingly bringing about the kind of world that we deserve, but it's too important a goal not to. And I stand by my dad's practice of finding the best deal by calculating price per unit. There's a time and a place for that, but it is not and doesn't claim to be the equation that will bring us to heaven on earth. For that goal, we must trust in the first principle we must know in our bones and constantly remind each other that my and your and our worth and dignity is inherent. We don't need outside validation to be worthy because we just already are. And if we do this, if we really live it, we just might make those tiny pockets into an expansive heaven on earth. May it be so. And when we gather in worship, we are mindful of the necessary and holy rhythm of giving and receiving. And one way we make real our bonds to one another is by sharing our financial resources. Our offering recipient today on Juneteenth is our partner organization, the Center for Leadership and Neighborhood Engagement, or CLNE, whose aim is to disrupt racism by focusing on organizational culture, policies, and practices, and by meeting people and neighborhoods exactly where they are. They ask, what if we focused on strong relationships instead of measurable success? What if we moved from a culture of separation to one of belonging? We are glad for this opportunity to support the center. Thank you for being with us today and receiving these important messages. And now, beyond the power of the spoken word, may the spirit of life, the spirit of love, and the promise of true liberation animate our lives. So be it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.